Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Roberto Brocampo, personal finance Con mucho gusto. expert here at The Motley Fool. Hello, bro. Hola. In this week's episode, Ross Anderson is back in the next installment of our series on tackling major life events. This week, selling a house. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro. What's up? Just a couple of things this week, Allison. Number one, this comes from the Center for Retirement Research from Boston, at Boston College. The name of the study is Retiring Earlier Than Planned, What Matters Most? And I think of this often because we've talked before about the power of delaying retirement. Mm-hmm. We've referenced the study that found that uh, just retiring one year later is, has the same power in terms of your income as saving 1% more over the course of your career. So it's pretty powerful. The thing is... Not everyone can work later. This study took a look at how many people retire sooner than they expected and why, why did they retire sooner. So their number that they came up with was actually 37% of people retiring sooner than they expected, which is higher than I've read in the past. Wow. So that's a little surprising. Uh, and then it looked at the causes. And as, what, as I think we could all expect, the number one cause is health, health issues. yeah. But it was surprisingly small. So if you took out the health issues, it, only, it dropped it down from 37% to 32%. So there are all these other reasons why people retire sooner. Some of them are a little surprising. So one is um, that your parents move in with you. It doesn't happen that often, but it does happen to people. Your parents move in with you. You have to take care of them, so wow. you retire sooner. Another one is you get divorced, which I don't quite understand why that would cause you to retire sooner, because actually divorce is financially devastating. It should make you have to work later, but for some reason, it leads to that. Well, with this survey, are they always assuming that there's a negative reason why you retired early? Uh, no, it does. It asks some positive ones too, like okay. if you had a positive wealth shock. In other words, if you inherited a lot yeah. of money. And well, that, that, positive wealth shock. Yes, yeah, so a shock Ooh. meaning something that That's like a, a fun phrase. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, another one is your spouse retired. And we've mm-hmm. talked about this before, is that spouses often tend to retire together, even though that's not necessarily the thing you should be doing. Um, so it turns out there are just all these reasons why people retire sooner. And I w- I'll just add sort of anecdotally that when I've talked to people who said they had to retire sooner, um, often let's just use the health example, right? Something happened to their health. And I've often thought, it's because that happened to you and because you were around retirement age. And if this health thing had happened to you when you were like in your 40s, you probably wouldn't have retired. You would have said, I'm too young to retire. I'm going to keep working. Mm. Of course, what happens to these people who retire sooner than they expected, they may not have as much as they expect. So my advice here is if something happens to you where you feel like you should retire sooner than expected, Take the time, spend the money to see a qualified fee-only financial planner to make sure that's the right decision for you. Because if you retire sooner, run out of money 10 minutes later, it's a lot harder to get back into the workforce. Uh, And then the second object, we just celebrated Mother's Day. Did you have a nice Mother's Day, by the way, Allison? Yeah, bro, I did have a nice Mother's Day. Thank you. Well, good. Uh, Because I'm going to follow up with a piece of Mother's Day advice for people. And this comes from insure.com which does a Mother's Day index every year. What they do is calculate how much it would cost to pay someone to do all the jobs 
a mom does. And the figure for this year comes in at $71,297 for the 13 different jobs that the typical mother does. Now, they admit that this is somewhat lighthearted because some of the jobs are like private detective investigator, (laughs) uh, licensed vacation nurses, party planner. Mm. Um, So it's kind of funny. But clearly, stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads do a lot of work that if they were not around, you'd have to pay someone to do, which is why insure.com comes up with this. Point being, it's not just the spouse that works that needs life insurance. The spouse that stays at home, takes care of the kids, takes care of the house, also needs life insurance because you're going to have to pay someone to do it. A rule of thumb we've talked before about in terms of life insurance is 10 times the salary plus maybe another $100,000 for each kid you have to put through college. So using their little the the number they've come up with you'd say that okay the typical stay at home mom or stay at home dad should have about $700,000 in life insurance and then you add on the 100 mm. to 200 to 300 for the kids so you're talking about a million dollars and i think actually that's pretty reasonable for someone these days to have in terms of life insurance it included a couple of other interesting stats first of all saying that more than 40% of people don't have life insurance but one of the big reasons people have said why they don't have it is they think it's going to be too expensive But what they found is that a lot of people overestimate the cost of life insurance. So, for example, they said that a $250,000 term life insurance for a healthy 30-year-old would only cost $160 a year, but people estimate that it costs three times that much. So if you're one of those people who thinks, I can't get life insurance, it's too expensive, chances are it's actually not going to be as expensive as you think. So go ahead and look into it because it's really important to have it. And that, Allison, is what's up. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. When it's time to make a hire for your small business, naturally you want to find the best person for the job. And odds are that person is on LinkedIn. We are in a bit of a hiring frenzy here at the Motley Fool, would you say? Yeah. And being able to find the best person for the job as efficiently as possible is so important. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers, so LinkedIn understands what they're interested and looking for, which means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. Customers rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality, discover job opportunities. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I ain't gonna need this house no longer. Ain't gonna need this house no more. Ain't got time to fix the shingle. Ain't got time to fix the Russ Anderson is back in the studio. Hello. How are you? I am awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Of course, Ross is a planner with Motley Fool Wealth Management. A sister company of Motley Fool. And he's here today because last time he was here, he talked about how to buy a house. Now we're going to talk about selling a house. Yes. Which is something all of us have done. Yes. All of us but not, Rick. Not well. Oh, yeah. Rick is not. He's been tried and true. He's decided to stay put and improve his house. Which is going well. <laughs> that's, that's, that's for a different show, I think. Yeah, right? The Renovate Your House episode. We'll yeah. do that, too. So, uh, Russ, today we're going to talk about your advice as a planner for selling your house, making it as painful as painful as possible. <laughs> Painless as possible. Uh, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. May- maybe painful, maybe not. Reducing the pain. So, let's start off with why, why do people want to sell their house? What's up with that? 
Yeah, it, I, I see a lot of different things, both in my role as a, as a planner and then also through the, the experience I just went through, which, which was uh, closing on a sale and a purchase kind of around the same time frame. But um, it tends to be a couple common themes. So er, earlier in people's life cycle, it might be uh, that they're trying to upgrade, upsize, they're expecting a family, preparing for that next step. Might be a job change. It might be something along those lines, moving a, across the country. Uh, and then also, we deal with a lot of folks that are kind of headed into retirement. So I see that downsizing transaction quite a bit, um, where people are just saying, hey, the kids are out of the house. We don't need all of this room. Maybe we're going to take some of that equity, put it back into our investments, and um, you know, kind of bolster our retirement and also maybe move into something that's a little bit easier to manage. So uh, that tends to be a very, very personal decision, but also um, those are kind of the, the things that I see most often. And I was actually interested to see, looking at uh, preparing for this show, that people tend to be staying in their homes longer these days. The number I used to hear was that it was like eight years was the average that people stayed in a home. Um, and it looks like that the uh, median seller uh, since 1985 has actually ticked up to almost 10 years. Oh wow! Um, which across you know big groups of people, that's a that's a pretty meaningful difference. But um, at least financially, that's probably a, a a big help because every every additional year means a lot. Yes, and and as we'll talk throughout the show, there are a lot of transaction costs involved with selling the house. So I I certainly tell people that you should not be buying unless you plan to stay there for at least six years, ten years being optimal. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely true. The frictional costs are higher than you'd expect, both from the actual transaction standpoint, which we'll we'll talk about, um, and then just the 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 soft costs, everything from moving to buying furniture and selling furniture, and just all all of like getting the stuff done uh, just takes a lot of effort and and certainly some money. Yeah. All right. So even before you're thinking about selling your house, what should you be thinking about while you're living in it? Well, I, I think you know we we all tend to when we're when we've been in a home a little while we tend to have some of those project areas where you go well someday we'll do this um, and and I tried to take the process along the way of if it was something I was going to upgrade at the time of sale I wanted to enjoy it I don't want to put brand new kitchen counters in for the next person like I don't I don't care about them that much I'd like to enjoy the new <laughs> kitchen counters um, and so as I even even from the very point that we bought the home, and we didn't think we were going to be there forever, we ended up being in our, our condo for uh, about six and a half years. Um, and things like the kitchen counters we replaced, but we did it a few years ago because we knew that was ultimately going to be kind of, um, I think, necessary to upgrade some of the finishes for sale, but didn't want it to just be at the very end where you fix all this stuff and then you look at it and go, hey, this place is actually kind of nice. Maybe I'm okay staying here. And, and, and so I, I think looking around at your projects list – um, and just saying, you know, do we need new carpet? Do we need some of these things that might improve our ability to sell the home, but would also improve our quality of life in the home? And, and you may find that a little bit of touching up there uh, might extend your your happiness in in the home and, and let you extend that further. Uh, but at the very least, it'll it'll help you to list and, and be a little bit more attractive. All right. So once you decide though that you are ready to sell a house <laughs> in the somewhat immediate future, what should you start doing? Uh, the best way I can categorize it is get rid of all of your stuff. I just to put it in that on the front lawn. To the see extent, who takes it and then burn the rest. I mean, the the amount of and and maybe this is just me. Some other folks are are, are very neat people and and maybe they do a better job at managing clutter. But the amount of just junk that two people in my home accumulated just shocked me. And uh, you know, so the 
whether we'll talk about how you list in just a moment, but if you have a realtor come through, they're going to tell you, you've got to get rid of all of the clutter. You've got to get rid of the some of the personalization. People want to be able to picture themselves in, in the home, not necessarily your family photos and things like that. But getting rid of that clutter, you can start doing that right now. You know, that that's one of those things where you can go through you know Marie Kondo it if you, if you've been watching that on yeah, Netflix it and sparks and sparks joy yeah if, if it doesn't spark joy and if you don't need it start to kind of whittle that down because you're going to be so much happier not having to move all of this stuff because that's really what's coming next is number one you need the house to show well it's going to show better with less stuff in it and you just really start realizing how much junk you don't have to have and and that I think was even though we tried to downsize our stuff we were still shocked by the process. Yeah. Um, uh, bro, you've taught you've done we've done episodes in the past about decluttering. What what were some of your favorite ways that you've gotten rid of stuff in the past when you moved? Well, so one issue with us is having the kids, right? Oh, so my, kids have so much stuff. So that's part of it, just getting rid of the stuff the kids no longer play with or the clothes that fit them. And we're big fans of of once a year having like a yard sale or or putting a bunch of stuff on Craigslist. And when you tell your kids, like if you sell this, you get to keep the money. And that is a great way to get rid of a lot of stuff that they don't play with anymore. And I also say in the last couple of times that we sold our house, we didn't just get rid of stuff. We also got storage hmm. to put stuff in because sometimes you have some furniture that is maybe not the best looking furniture. It may not, may not help the house show well, but you still want to keep it. And you can stretch out that process of decluttering the house and getting ready to show um, by just starting to move that, and it only costs you know like a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars a month or so. You can stretch it out, and a lot of things you have to do to your house, like painting, new carpets, or stuff like that. You have to clear the room anyhow. So getting storage facility is helpful for, for that too. Yeah, and we, then are you good about going back and actually emptying out the storage facility, or you just tend to <laughs> put that? It's just like this is always. There. Oh yeah, no, no, that's for me. I hate paying for something. Yeah. Like anything that's related just paying to paying just because you have stuff. So Ooh. as soon as we got the new house, we clear that out. Those storage facilities know they've got most people on the ropes, right? Like they, they, they keep increasing that rent year by year. That's, that's a tremendous business just because most people, I think they get all that junk in there and they go, oh, no, I'm not going back in that. Right. I, and I, I know my dad was one of those people for years. I mean, he would have paid anything to just not have to clean it out. <laughs> yeah. All right, so after you've gotten rid of the clutter – which makes it, I make it sound so easy. It took us, I mean, it took us months and months and so many car trips and so much posting on Slack on The Fool. Who wants six martini glasses that we have not unwrapped since our wedding? Yeah. Because why did we put martini glasses on our registry? I don't know. For that all your was cocktail dumb. parties. For all of our cocktail parties. We have one friend who drinks Cosmos, and she's the only person who has ever drunk out of one. All the rest of them were in their original little box, never touched. You got to start making Manhattans. That can go in a martini glass. It's a dumb shape for a glass. I don't care. <laughs> Everything can be drunk out of a jelly glass. Who cares? Sure. <laughs> All right. So clutter's gone. It was not hard, but you did it. Good for you. Well, yeah. We, and honestly, we we got lucky. My parents live in the area and let us put a bunch of boxes in their home, and that helped with two phases of it. Number one, getting rid of our stuff, which ended up being out of the house for like months at a time, and then you got to pick it up, and you're like. 
why do I need any of these things? Yeah. Yeah. If I've been living for months without this stuff, do I really need it? Um, so I, I but but all, they were also very motivated to get the stuff back out of their home. So that that made sure we went and picked it up because my mom my mom wasn't having it. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you, you've moved now. Go ahead and get it. But um, yeah, so so I think decluttering. And then you start to kind of neutralize a little bit. You know, you you got to assume that your taste is not everybody's taste. So that to the extent that you can go less knickknacky and more just kind of neutral colors and um, try and appeal to the broadest audience. And and I, you know, again, not all of us are are interior designers. That's certainly not who I am. But uh, I just assumed most people wouldn't like my stuff. So as much of it as I could put away, um, I think that was kind of the goal there. Uh, and then really, you know. Buyers, and it, I think this is true across all buyers, are going to prefer a turnkey house. The less they have to do, the more you can do for them so that your home looks like it's ready to just come plop your stuff down, sit and relax, I think is better. And, and we uh, had a tough choice on our carpet. We knew it needed to be replaced, and, and we ended up not doing it because we were still living in the home at the time. It was showing. We were going to have to move all of the furniture. Um, and quite frankly, I, I think we paid for that a little bit in terms of our what we got for the home and, and probably should have done that work uh, ahead of time. Um, but people definitely appreciate if they don't have to do the work when they move in. Yeah, for us, it was important to be moved out of our house before we started showing it. Like We just wanted to not have to deal with people walking through our house and all of our things and stuff. But then our realtor was like, well, but we need to stage the house to take photos. And so we had to do this whole rigmarole where we took photos of one specific floor and uh, it was just like the whole like staging your house is kind of can be expensive if you actually are going to stage it and bring in other people's furniture. Um, I don't know. Do you find, do you find that with the people that you've been working with and granted the people that you've been working with live all around the world, all around the country, um, that they are having to do a lot to sell their houses? Is it hard for them to sell? Or generally speaking, it's like, no, it's actually a pretty good time to be selling. I, I think right now, the the message I hear, at least locally and, and, and um, certainly in other parts of the country where the, the market's been hot, is that it is a seller's market, at least at the moment. Um, now, I, I was going through this process at the end of last year as the market was falling like uh, a knife through butter, uh, and that was that was not going as well because the the traffic was down. I think people were a little concerned, and mm-hmm. heading into the holidays was not a great time to list. It was a decent time to be a buyer, and so I think you know what I gave up on the on the selling side, I got on the buying side and being being able to be a little bit more aggressive there. Um, but right now, it seems like inventory is exceptionally low. Um, the home across the street from us in our new place went up. Uh, and it was under contract within like three or four days. Yeah, DC is a DC very very quick is, turnaround. So yeah. it, it seems like at the moment, if you're in one of those markets, that you can basically write your ticket. Um, but uh, at, at the time that we did it, we definitely uh, had a little bit more effort that had to go into it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the money part. You know. Yes. <laughs> that part. So it gets it gets tough, especially if you are selling your house and buying another house. Because sure. basically, you're looking at carrying two mortgages potentially, or having to time it right. So let's let's talk talk money. Yeah. So so the the logistics of this and the finances of this, I think, are are really challenging. So you've got to decide first of all, can you afford to carry two mortgages if you're going to buy first before you've got a closed deal? Um, and really, and we're focusing on the buying side. But but when we were buying our home, the person we were buying from had a sale 
they, they had our closing date sale, and they were closing on their new property on the same day. Uh, and what we ended up finding out is when we went through the home inspection, found some extra stuff that we weren't really prepared for, we kind of had them on the ropes uh, a little bit because they, they needed they, – they clearly needed that sale to go through, and they were very worried about losing that deal if we had backed out at that time. And we got to renegotiate price and, uh, and, and uh, seller credit at, again at that home inspection point. So I, I think there's a couple lessons there. Number one, try not to paint yourself into a corner if you can – and if you do, make sure your realtor doesn't tell the other person that's <laughs> yes. buying your home. That that put them at a huge information disadvantage. And again, mm-hmm. I don't think we took advantage of them. I think there were real things in the home. But uh, that that is, is really critical to me, that, that you control some of that information flow. Um, and, and so if you're going to put yourself in a, in a position where you have to have the new money out to make your down payment – you know, I, I think you've got to be thinking about maybe having a gap there where you're going to be in some sort of like an extended hotel or something like that for a couple weeks, maybe, so that you're not right against the ropes for, for making the closings work. There are a couple of ways of doing it, and I've done one of them. That is the bridge loan, mm-hmm. right? So it's a very short-term loan that you use as the down payment on the purchase of the house until you sell your house and get that money out and pay off the loan. Um, it was very easy to do. And I almost wondered why the bank was even bothering, because we only had the loan for a month or two. But regardless, that is an option. Another thing that people have done is borrowed from their 401k, which can have advantages. Some people. Some, some people you some know. Some hypothetical, done. some very responsible, smart Thank people. You. One of the Thank three you. people in the room. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, and the good thing about that is that, A, it's very easy. It's, it's actually not even a loan. It's so easy. So you don't have to get a credit check or anything like that. And the interest that you pay is to yourself. The downside is that money's not in the market, so if the market shoots up while that's happening, you missed out on that. And if you don't pay it back, it's considered a distribution, you pay taxes and penalties. So it's definitely an option for very responsible people. The the other way to do it, and, and this is what we ended up doing, well, sort of, this is the plan that we ended up doing, and then I screwed that up a little bit. But Hey, um, everybody makes mistakes. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, the, the other thing that you can do, and, and I, I ended up doing my purchase loan with, with Rocket Mortgage, uh, and one of the things that you can do with a loan that's in good standing is called recast it. And so, for example, if you take out a bigger loan on the purchase, you can then put a huge payment against it. If you typically put a big payment against a mortgage, it doesn't change your payment. But if you recast the loan, they basically redo the amortization schedule with the same ending date. So that actually lowers your payment, um, which I think is kind of a fascinating strategy because um, now, we, we may even disagree on this. Some people would say, just pay against the principal, keep making the same payment, and pay it off sooner. But if you're worried about that cash flow month to month and you don't want to have the bigger bill, recasting the loan is like doing a smaller loan for the same time period that you originally started with. Yeah. Uh, and they, they were willing to do that for, I think it's about 100 bucks to get them to do that, um, where other lenders may charge a, a much bigger fee. And so that, that was one of the main reasons I ended up going with them on the purchase side, was because my plan was to buy the new home with a bigger mortgage, take take the money out of the sale, and then recast the loan. Um, where that failed is I ended up putting all that money back into renovations, so I still have the bigger loan that I mm. took out. And I bet that's probably what happened to a lot of people in that same strategy, is they, they can't sit on the cash. So, um, you know, that's my failure. But uh, at the same time, the house looks nice. I'll just say anecdotally, too, for this people that I know, either people personally or or members I've spoken with, who've gone the 
two mortgages route, mm-hmm. sell the one house and, and all that. Uh, I would say in about half those situations, it took longer to sell the house than they expected. Mm. Um, so you just got to make sure you have that room in your budget just in case something happens and you end up having those two mortgages longer than you expected. Yeah, one thing that happened to us is um, my credit score took a really big hit. Um, and and we were like puzzled by it. And um, then Ron was like, maybe it was because for like 30 days we were a million dollars in debt. <laughs> Could be. It's like, maybe, maybe that's because nothing had really changed in our lives except for that we were massively in debt for a very short amount of time. Um, so yeah, it's gonna take. I think it's gonna take a little while for my credit score to recover, which is kind of sad. And you also didn't You'll have payment there. history on the new loan yet, so that so that's gonna be part of it. I think is just that you haven't proven yourself to be a good payer on that I note. I am. I am good. You'll be. I, I trust you. Thank you. I'll, I'll lend you money. Get don't some worry. Money no, I don't have any money. Right. We're fine. good now. So, well, you're gonna need help selling your house. Um, although I've known people who just went through a lawyer, but you are gonna need some help. Whether it's a realtor, lawyer, let's talk about those kind of help. Yeah, so so this is where the I think the numbers really get get serious. the the co- The biggest cost in selling your home is going to be your the commission that you pay to actually have the house sold. So normally, um, I think a traditional real estate commission is the six percent range. So mm-hmm. you're going to assume whatever you list the home for, you're going to end up with ninety four percent of that kind of hitting your bottom line. Um, there's been pressure on those prices from a lot of places these days. So uh, Redfin advertises a 1% listing fee. There's a minimum there, depending on where you are and what the home's worth. But um, you know, so you're starting to see that come down. It is a negotiation point. So if you're going to work with a realtor, we had the same listing agent on our selling side that we did on our buying side, and they were willing to work with us a little bit there um, as a How result of that. How much do they that. work with you? Uh, I, think, I think we took a percent off of it. Okay. It, it, it yeah. So... so so I think we ended up listing for five, and, and probably could have been more aggressive than that. But hmm. I, I, I want it to be win-win. I want they they did a lot of work for us in helping us get the house ready. Quite frankly, so um, I, I wanted to make sure that they were making money and we were. That's not the most capitalist thing I've ever said, but um, <laughs> I, I, I wanted it to be a fair deal all around and, mm-hmm. and not you know yeah. not not come out one sided. And I, was, I would say the same thing. I've negotiated every time we've had used a realtor, and I would say we've done it between four and five percent, especially if you are also using them for the on the buy side as well. Yeah, um, but the the new services, you know, depending on what you need and how much coaching you need. Now, this is our first time selling a home. If I did it again, maybe I would do something with less personal touch. This time, since it was my first time through, I wanted the handholding. You know, and and um, I can recognize that about myself. And being in the advice business, I, I've kind of learned to trust professionals when I feel like I'm out of my depth. And and this was one of those spaces, so I, I was happy to do it the way we did. And I would say, I mean, really, if you get a good realtor, it's definitely worth the money. And and by good, I mean helping with the staging for sure, helping with the decisions about what needs to be upgraded or not. I mean, if your fridge is 10, 15 years old. Should you upgrade on that, they'll help with that. They'll help with the pictures. Yep. And everyone is going to see your house first online in pictures, and you want to make sure that you have good pictures. Totally. They know how to do that. And then also, they serve as the negotiator. So you're not negotiating with the people who want to buy your house. They're doing all of that. And it's sometimes, if you want to play hardball, it's a lot easier if someone else is doing it for you yeah. than if you have to do it yourself. Yeah, because you can kind of do a little bit of a good cop, bad cop routine. Um, and, and quite frankly, you may get an offer that is insulting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, somebody may send you a lowball offer. Again, it depends on kind of the heat of your market at the time that you do this. Uh, and your your response to that person might be heck no, and 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 they may be a little bit more measured in terms of how they respond. Or this is kind mm-hmm. of what. 
um, what what they're looking for. But um, hopefully, they're going to also help you fi- find a listing price that makes sense. They're going to look at the comps in your market. They're going to look at what's around you, what else is for sale, uh, and, and hopefully help you come in at an attractive place where, where the deal all goes just a little bit quicker. Yeah, one thing I would add from my own little personal experience is realtors are going to be sending you lots of contracts. Like when they start bringing contracts in and they're like, hey, take a look at this one, take a look at this one. Like, definitely check them to make sure they are right because we had offers that they put the wrong address in and they Oops. were trying to put in an offer on our neighbor's house. Oh, wow. And we had offer, <laughs> we got offers. Where they didn't have my name on it. And well, what a good neighbor that you could go to your neighbors and say, "Hey, good <laughs> I news! Sold your house. You're, you're moving. <laughs> Got you a good deal." Yeah. Um, so I mean, obviously, like you can go through it with a fine tooth comb, but at least look at the parts where there is a highest opportunity for human error, and you will see them. Because um, every contract we received, there was something where it was like, "Well, actually, that's that, actually Allison should be on this. Actually, that's not our address. Actually, you know." So anyway, I, I also loved that the documents this time through, and and again, it was about six and a half years from when we bought our place originally. Mm-hmm. Everything's electronic now. Yeah. We use DocuSign for everything, which was just incredible versus having to just sign all this junk over and over again. It was much, much easier. And did you guys get any personal letters from people saying, hey, this is who we are. We really want to live in your house. Choose us. We didn't. We we did get the aggressive, like kind of lowball cash offer, mm-hmm. like, well, you're not going to get anything better than this. Oh, really? Uh, and we told them to pack sand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we received some really sweet letters from people saying, "Hey, we just got married. Oh. We have a dog. We want to have babies." And I was like, "That was just like you and me when we bought the house." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Give it house. Give it to them. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's funny so when you funny. get the cash offer, and and you know, in theory, the cash offer could close quicker because that that buyer isn't waiting on financing, mm-hmm. and so if they're making that cash offer, they seem to assume that you're going to show that some preference. I don't really care if it's cash or not. I'm going to get the same I'm check get the regardless. Same of money so anyway. I'm yeah. worried about the number. Yeah. So let, yeah. let's go ahead and come to the table because I, I, you know, and again, if you're if you're a little bit more desperate to sell or if you're on a tighter timeline. Maybe that quick close becomes more and more important right. to you. But I wasn't going to give up five, ten thousand dollars to close three weeks earlier. Like, yeah, I don't care. Like, yeah, no, I'll just sit around and wait. Um, and again, that strength of having that patience or, or being in a position that you're comfortable, I think, is is really important there. Yeah, with us too. Like, yes, they wrote very sweet letters, and I got teared up. But the fact is, we went with the one whose claws escalated the highest. Like, that's that's what really got me sentimental. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Actually, um, to be fair, both of them were exactly like we were. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I think is helpful. For a realtor to have around is managing the inspection, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and every house is going to have an inspection, and an inspection is always going to turn up something. Oh, so much something! It's pages and pages and pages of stuff where you're like, "What? No, this house is fine." Right. It's it's, uh, and I know some some sellers do this. They actually will do a pre-inspection. They'll hire their own inspector mm-hmm. to come through and basically do it like a buyer's inspection, just to understand what's going to be uncovered. Um, that you know. I, I wasn't kind of willing to go to that length to figure out what was wrong with the house. I kind of had ideas of what was wrong already. But, um, but yeah, that's certainly an idea. If you think that there might be a long list or you're a little bit worried about what they're going to find, just go ahead and pay somebody. It's a few hundred bucks to do it, and, and you can be out in front of it. Yeah, yeah, and there's some things when you turn up, like, you have to fix. There's certain things, depending on where you live in state laws, like, you cannot sell a house if this one thing is wrong. Everything else is negotiable, and that's where the realtor 
comes in, that's helpful too. But yeah. just know that you are going to spend hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars after your house gets inspected. Yeah, the the the, the, the <laughs> listing yeah. number you got to kind of keep that out of your head. I mean, you, you should. I, I think you should go into it kind of with a bottom line number of we want to get at least this. Hmm. Um, and 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 that that's what we ended up doing and kind of managing to that bottom line number. But but when you start at the top. If if you do the math there, you're going to be disappointed at yeah. the end because um, between the repairs, between the, all the additional costs of moving and all this stuff, you're going to end up with less in your pocket than you think. Uh, one reason why you would consider getting an inspection beforehand because if you once the inspection gets done and something gets found, the buyers will want a certified plumber or electrician or handy person to fix that. They don't want you to say, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll fix that. I'll run to Home Depot." If you find out things that are wrong beforehand, you have the opportunity mm. to fix it yourself before hiring outside help. That's a that's a great point, but but yes, uh, that that's um, you have to prove receipts for anything yes. that they ask you to fix. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the joy that is moving. Ooh, Oof. Fun, yeah. st- fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. How much do your friends really like you? It's a good day to find <laughs> Come out. Come on, are we not paying you enough to hire movers? <laughs> I did hire movers. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, we, so we were in a third floor walk-up, oh. and, and on the day we moved in, I said to my wife, we're not moving out until I can pay somebody to take this crap back out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will not take this stuff the other way. That's done. So we, we did hire movers, and, and luckily we weren't going very far. It was just a few miles down the road. But um, yeah, no, the, the, the mover, the, that cost, I think, was actually less. If you're going to pack yourself... It's less expensive than you would think. Oh my god! Yeah, that's what we did. We packed all our stuff ourselves. We got big plastic crates. We ordered big plastic crates, and we just threw stuff in the crates. And then the movers came, and it was surprisingly reasonable. And my back is still in good condition. Yeah. And thanks me for it. No, that's a that's a huge, huge just kind of perk to have there. I mean, I, I if you're gonna have your friends help you do it, you know, pizza and beer is still your cost. But uh, I, I think it's just. Not worth it. Honestly, shout out, shout out to bookstore movers in the DC area. Oh, there you go. That's that's my. I can't, I can't remember my. They didn't company. pay. They didn't pay me for that. It's just a pure from the heart endorsement. <laughs> Love it. They were great. They were fantastic. The last couple of times we did it both ways. So we rented a U-Haul, and and moved anything that we and the, by meaning my wife and my kids and I could move on our like mm. any clothes, anything that's easy to move, we did ourselves. Then what we did for the stuff, the really big furniture, mm-hmm. we hired pros. In one of those situations, we even rented the truck ourselves. You just hired mm-hmm. the help, which you can do, and you pay them whatever, $20 an hour to do that. A lot cheaper than if you hire the moving company to do everything for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think at the high end, they'll even pack for you, but that 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 changes the, the economics quite yeah. a bit. The average cost... To, Largely depends on what you're getting them to do and how far you're moving, but it can range from $500 to almost $4,000, depending on what you're doing. So if you're moving, uh, and this is along the line of our "don't cut the joists" advice that we gave to people uh, in Come the on, buying just episode, just leave the joists alone, yeah, man. I, I'm not over it. Uh, but don't leave crap in your house. Uh, <laughs> we we found an enormous amount of stuff, like literally, like not when I say car seats, these seats. From a car, not like children's car seats. <laughs> we're, we're in the attic of this home we bought. We didn't do this to the people that, but you know, be, be considerate. We had so much stuff left in the attic. Oh. I emailed the previous owners. I was like, You want to come get your stuff? Yeah. And he's like, No. Yeah, what's your forwarding you address it. for all this junk? I had ski, there were skis and Christmas trees and furniture and kids' furniture. I was like, You're horrible people. Yeah. This is a family TV, uh, TV show, podcast, radio show, but. 
the stuff I found in the attic one house was stuff that the husband was clearly hiding from the wife <laughs> in video and magazine form. Oh my wow. goodness. Thankfully you found that and not and not the kids. Kids. Oh yeah. wow. wow. So did and you email like, him and let him know? I did hey, not. But I'm like, stash. I'm not putting this in my own trash can either, because what if someone finds it? Actually ended for all you fool employees, it ended up in the full bin out back. <laughs> <laughs> That, okay, that's bro, why that it happened. was the previous owners. All right, all right. <laughs> Actually, I assume it was the husband. Maybe it was the wife. I don't know. I didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as we wrap this up, just one thing to think of as you're budgeting for all this is just all-in costs. So as a rule of thumb, it will cost about 10% of the cost of your house to move, including the realtor fees, home repairs, and moving. But that is variable to a large degree the number one expense being what you do in terms of a realtor, if you sell mm-hmm. it on your own or not. Um, sometimes people wonder, well, I've made a profit on my house. Do I then own capital gains? The answer is probably not. Known to, because of something known as the home sale exclusion, you could exclude up to $250,000 per gain, $500,000 if you're married, if you lived in the house in two of the past five years. So if it was a rental property, you still have to pay capital gains or... Um, you didn't own it for two years, still pay capital gains. But that is one expense that most people don't have to worry about. Yeah, and un- unless you have a really huge gain, which some people That's do. True. But, That's true. That's um, true. And, and we've certainly seen that as well. But but for most folks, they don't have to worry about it. A $500,000 gain doesn't sound like that much for the D.C. area, though. That's it depends true. how long you've owned it. Oh, okay. It depends how long you've owned it. Well, And, the, and then the other thing is, you can uh, if you've done improvements into the home, you change your basis. So if you bought it for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you've put a hundred grand into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gain is really going to be above that. But a lot of people do a very poor job of record keeping mm, on their renovations. Yeah. If they did those twenty years ago and they can't actually prove that they did it, it becomes a little bit dicey. So um, just a note for all of you out there doing home improvements: keep track of it if you think you're going to be in the home for a while. Certainly, if it's a rental, keep track of it because that's how you're going to deal with all of those expenses and and the. Um, deducting that, but uh, so so yeah, I, I think it, for most people they're not going to deal with the capital gain. But if you think you might be in that situation, absolutely keep good records. Well, what's your closing thought, Ross? Um, it's just a bigger hassle. Every, everything, <laughs> <laughs> everything's a hassle. Everything relating. I know that sounds negative, but everything relating to a home transaction seems to take a little longer, take a little bit more money. It just all is. Very drawn out, and the things when when you make the decision of like, okay, I'm going to buy this home or I'm going to sell this home, you kind of just want it to be like, snap, and I'm done. That's not the thing. You're getting into weeks of patience and you doing work and you trying to prepare for the best possible outcome. So, um, if you're thinking about now, uh, you know whether that again that's downsizing, moving, upgrading, whatever you're looking at doing, start to assess it with as objective of an eye as you can and get out in front of some of that stuff so that it doesn't catch you by surprise when you're actually needing to move. Yeah. You know, I know that buying a house and selling a house is always way more money than I think it's going to be, but I I think it's just going to be a mistake I'm going to make the rest of my life just assuming that it's not <laughs> as bad as it is. Yeah. I'll forget. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, good luck everybody. <laughs> Ending Let's try to end on at least a positive tone if the sentiment isn't so positive. Ross, thanks for joining us. You're going to stick around though for the thing that we always do. 
Fantastic. The fun stuff. The fun stuff. stuff. Can't wait. Our sister company, Motley Fool Wealth Management, is a registered investment advisor that can help put your financial plan and investing needs in the context of your big life transitions. If you've enjoyed hearing from Ross or the other Motley Fool Wealth Management planners we've had on the show, guess what? You can get even more of them in your life and talk to them in person. The Ross Anderson. Visit (laughs) fullwealth.com slash radio. At fullwealth.com slash radio, you can find podcast notes and resources and even book a no-obligation appointment with Ross or another planner you've probably heard on the show. Please consider the risk, cost, and suitability of investments before choosing any investment professionals. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Motley Fool Wealth Management does not guarantee the results of any of its vice or account management. Selling can be hard, whether it's a house or other thing. So I want to see if you guys can fill in the blank and answer some questions when it comes to some ishy moments in PR and advertising. Let's start with an easy one. Eric the Red, famous Viking, didn't discover the largest island on the planet, but he was the first to colonize it after becoming one of the earliest PR men in history. What country am I talking about? Which country? Scotland? Uh, I was going to say Eric knows this. Rick knows this. Greenland. There you go. There you go. That's what I was going to say. Yes, in the most Viking of stories ever, Eric's dad, Torvald, was exiled from from Norway in 960 for, quote, some killings. The family <laughs> sailed to Iceland. 22 years later, Eric was like, Dad, that was a great idea, and he kills a man and then several other men, and they get exiled from Iceland, so they keep heading west, and eventually they find a part of Greenland that isn't covered in ice. He returns after his exile and regales everyone with his grand tales of the Greenland. And 500 men and women were like, sounds better than this famine we're living in. Let's go. So off they went. They had settlements in Greenland for more than 500 years, but then suddenly disappeared. Um, No one knows why, but probably a plague. More of the killings. More of the killings. That probably (laughs) didn't help. Maybe ice. And ice and just miserableness. Lack of Um, green. About 55,000 people live in Greenland today. And if you have not Googled pictures of Greenland recently, I recommend doing it. There's some really, really cool pictures out there. But it's a very cold place <laughs> and not particularly super green. All right, next question. In 2014, Red Bull Energy Drink Company settled a class action case by agreeing to pay out a maximum of $10 to every U.S. consumer who bought the drink since 2002. Why? Well, a judge agreed that Red Bull does not, in fact, what? Give you wings? Yeah. <laughs> really? Right. According to Business Insider, Beganin Carruthers was one of the several consumers who brought the case against the Austrian company. He said he was a regular consumer of Red Bull for 10 years, but he had not developed wings or shown any signs of improved intellectual <laughs> oh or physical gosh. abilities. That upsets me so much at my core. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> deeply upsetting. <laughs> all right. Broido has Olive Garden. I have Taco Bell, the restaurant I unapologetically love. I don't care what I'm eating. A Mexican pizza is delicious. But rumors about what actually is in Taco Bell meat have circulated for a long time. And in 2011, an Alabama law firm decided to do something about it. They insisted that Taco Bell change the name from seasoned beef to taco meat filling, arguing that the, quote, meat was only about 36% actual beef. Boy, were they wrong. What percent of beef was actually beef? Let's do closest without going over. 20%, and it was Chihuahua. 
No. I, I'm, I'm a purist. I think it was 100% beef because I stand behind Taco Bell. I love Taco Bell. I man. do too. People! They're using people! <laughs> Not people. <laughs> do you have a guess, Rick? Uh, $1. 88%. <laughs> what? Beef. Yep. So the other 12% was spices, oats to kind of be fillers. Oh, the spices count? Yeast extract, malodextrin, soy lecithin, and cocoa for color. Sounds delicious. Probably made it more healthy. Probably a bunch of other stuff I also can't pronounce. But basically, people are like, don't worry about it. It's fine. And there's no such thing as like grade D beef, apparently. Because that was another thing they used to say about it. All this bad talk about Taco Bell. Come on. Just let me be happy. Right? You know? Right? Next question. Torches of Freedom was a PR campaign devised by the father of PR, Edward Bernays, in 1929 to promote what action by associating it with the women's liberation movement? What was it again that were? Torches of Freedom. Lighters. I have no idea. Burning Braziers? Bros in the ballpark. S'mores. I don't know. <laughs> Smoking. So, when men smoked, it was manly. When women did it, they were probably floozies. The head of the American tobacco company, maker of Lucky Strikes, was no feminist, but he did recognize that if we could convince women to smoke, he'd make a ton of money. So, in 1929, Bernays, again, this is the PR guy he hired, devised what some would call the first PR stunt. He hired a bunch of nice enough looking women, he didn't want them to be too pretty, he wanted them to be relatably pretty, to smoke their, quote, torches of freedom as they walked in the <laughs> Easter Sunday parade in New York. It caused quite a to-do, including a New York Times story. Group of girls puff at cigarettes as a gesture of freedom. The share of cigarettes purchased by women took off after this campaign. Bernays, who is actually a nephew of Sigmund Freud, retired in the 60s, but he continued to work in his retirement on behalf of the anti-smoking lobby, Action on Smoking and Health. Wow. Yeah, isn't that funny? Hired gun. And then he was like, ugh, I just made a lot of ladies miserable by convincing them to smoke. But anyway, there you go. Times have changed. Right. Well, then you think about like the Virginia Slim. Remember, like it still continued into when we were kids, like the Virginia Slims ads and like, you're a sassy woman who smokes. Yay. (laughs) Like that wasn't the exact copy, but it was essentially it. Nailed it. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Look at you with your shoulder pads and your large hair. Go get it, girl. I don't know. There's the 80s. Maybe. All right, well, that's the show. Thanks again, Ross, for joining. And remember, listeners, you can head to FoolWealth.com radio uh, for more episodes in this series and to book a no-obligation appointment to chat with a Motley Fool wealth management planner. The show is edited liberatingly by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp and Ross Anderson, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody.